Our New Testament reading comes from 1 John, chapter 4, and I'll be reading from verse 7 through to verse 12. And you'll find that on the service sheets, I think on the screen, and also on page 1227 in the Church Bibles. So 1 John 4, verse 7. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. Thank you, John. We <clears throat> noted at the start of this series we've been doing for a few months now in the book of 1 John that the book is in some ways quite repetitive. The same themes come at us again and again. So we've had the idea of what we've heard from the beginning come up a few times, uh, remaining in the truth, walking in the light, the theme of assurance, how we know that we know that we are Christians. Uh, keeping watch for deceptive voices, and the theme of today, loving one another. You might have a bit of a sense of deja vu, feeling like, I'm sure we've heard this message about love one another before, Uh, not just generally because it's a fairly common Christian message, but specifically in this series in 1 John. And you'd be right to feel that because it has come up on two distinct previous occasions. In chapter 1, when we were told uh, we're being given not a new command but an old command, Uh, to love one another, and then in chapter 3, the message from the beginning, to love one another, which we actually saw in our verse of the month, our memory verse, the start of the service from chapter 3, love one another as he has commanded us. So now for a third time, a third distinct time in this short epistle, uh, John is telling us again to love one another, for love comes from God, as he writes in verse 7 there. Well, why have we've been told this so many times. Why has John, in his uh, short letter, decided to write this same thing on so many occasions? Uh, Not just that he's giving a slightly new twist on it, not just that he values repetition and sees the importance of that for getting a, a message home. Possibly also, though, because this third time is uh, more direct than the previous two. Uh, the first time the theme came up it was in the context of assurance a point about how we know that we know that we believe because we follow his commands and principally his commands to love one another and then the second time it came up in the context of avoiding patterns of sin not making a practice of hating others but of loving one another whereas this third time it's a bit more direct let us love one another for love comes from god Uh, To the extent that there is any sort of overall 
organizing theme for the book. I think it comes from chapter one, which said that God is light. God is light. He's, that is, he's totally morally pure, uh, totally morally perfect, and that we are to walk in the light as believers in him. So this uh, instruction to love one another is in that context. Walk in God's light, God's purity. And part, a big part of that, a major part of that, is to love one another. Love within the family of God. And three particular reasons within this passage are given for loving one another. Because we are reborn of God, because we are loved of God, and because we are indwelt of God. Firstly, we're reborn of God. Look at verse uh, 7, chapter second part of verse 7. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. Born of God and knows God. John, the writer, is no stranger to the doctrine of the new birth. He wrote extensively, uh, probably most extensively in the Bible, uh, in his gospel in chapter 3 when Nicodemus goes to meet Jesus at night and quizzes him about this subject. How can a man be born again when he's old? Nicodemus asked the Lord Jesus, Uh, to which the reply was, unless one is born again of water and the word, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. And they had a a discussion about that subject. Becoming Jesus' follower he was making in that put the point in that passage is not just about taking up a new interest not just a a matter of quietly following along like a new hobby it's a complete change of life a complete turning around it's a massive change Uh, so massive you could almost say it's like being born again as a new person Uh, and that's the illustration that the lord jesus uses uh, in that passage and also that john picks up here in chapter four of his epistle And because of that massive change, that brings about a massive change in our attitudes, our priorities, Uh, amazing new family that we're in. And a new priority is to show love within that family because we have been born again of God. New life, new family, new priority. And we could take uh, that second half of chapter verse 7 out of context, just read it on its own. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. And we might be struggling a bit with, well, what does love actually look like? Uh, we might be thinking, well, can we just make it up for ourselves? Uh, everyone who loves, well, you know, I can say this or that is loving and therefore I have been born of God. But it is in context and certainly the immediate thing it follows is, dear friends, let us love one another for love comes from God. Because so that immediately roots that concept of love in mutuality. Uh, in showing love to other Christians. So we're not saying love undefined, uh, love without context, love in any particular way you want makes you born of God, but love in a particular biblical sense. All who are part of God's family will show that particular love for one another. Why would somebody who's not in the family show that sort of love for the family. Christians loving one another shows the authenticity of their rebirth. Churches without much mutual love going on within them raises questions about their spiritual vitality, their spiritual health. 
have people actually experience the new birth if there isn't much mutual love going on in them. And just as we look to that local context to help us define the concept of love, so we also look to the whole, the wider Bible, not for our definition of love, for interpreting it our way, but for God's definition. God is love. He is the one who gives definition. And we can't ignore parts of his counsel when we are determining what is and is not loving. So a question for us. Is this love that we show to one another within the church just something we do automatically or something that we actually need to work at, something we need to think about? If we are reborn into this new family, does that automatically mean we show love to it? Or do we actually need to think hard about it? Well, I think it's not as simple as an either-or. I think both are true. It's indicative and imperative that we love one another. So we get the imperative in the first half of verse 7, let us love one another. And then the indicative in the second half, everyone who loves has been born of God. And that's the same as a human family, isn't it? So we do have a sense of whatever our family context is, that these people are important, these people are significant. And I should show love to them in some way that I don't to anybody outside of that family. And yet we do also need to work at it. We need to think hard about how am I caring for and being kind and generous towards my children or my parents or those slightly further afield within the family. When we're newly born, we don't fully appreciate that family dynamic. It takes us a while. Uh, When we're newborn, we just eat and sleep and produce waste, and that's not, not much more that we're aware of beyond that. But as we grow, our awareness of the family context grows. We see faces, we see smiles, we interact. And then when we're fully grown, we can begin to reflect on the family situation we're in and philosophize about it, about the value of life and the value of family. And the same is true for Christians, that as we mature in faith, we see more and more of the value of this new family we've been born into, more and more of how we should rightly interact with it. We see more of the joy of having that family at all, that new family in Christ brothers and sisters, both locally and far afield. And John is urging us when he says, let us love one another, for love comes from God. He's urging us to progress both in that understanding and in the practice of it. He's urging us to go further, to to keep going and to go further in love for one another, spending time with this family getting to know this new family, helping with each other's needs and sharing each other's joys and sorrows. And we all know that all of those sort of things are done more or less well within any local fellowship. And it's not just local fellowships we're concerned about because John is writing to the whole global church here. He's addressing all Christians everywhere when he says love one another. There's obviously more immediate uh, applications of that locally but we do need to think regionally nationally internationally as well about loving one another in the church and it's wonderful to have particular groups in the church like the external mission group that help us to think that through 
but we do need to keep individually thinking about it as well. And as we are all individually striving to love one another more and more, the net results will be out of proportion to what we put in. Reborn of God into a wonderful new family, but also loved of God, not just a cold, functional rebirth, but a rebirth in love, as we see in verse 9. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. And the same point again, phrased slightly differently in verse 10. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent again his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Our culture is quite confused, as we're aware, about what love is. There's different interpretations around us, understandings of what love involves. Is it just about being nice to people? Is love just about showing bits of kindness and niceness here and there? Or is it just about romantic feelings? Are any romantic feelings I feel uh, love and that, that's the main thing that love is? Or is love just about getting along with people, just rubbing by? Is anything that I come up with and brands as love okay? That this societal confusion sometimes takes on a bit of an aggressive approach when it feels threatened and it shouts back, love is love. It's kind of self-defining and you can't challenge it. It's, it's so uh, internally obvious. Well, by contrast, John says, actually, love has been given a definition by God, which is definitive. God sent his one and only son, verse 9. Again, verse 10, he sent his son as an atoning sacrifice. John is saying, love is sacrifice. Love doesn't keep its most precious thing to itself, but it gives that which is most precious. It doesn't say no to costly giving, but it goes ahead with it. God showed, God the Father showed and defined love when he sent God the Son in the flesh to suffer and die for us. Verse 10 again, this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice. He didn't have to. He could have just let humanity go ahead and sin and destroy itself by itself. But out of his great compassion, he showed love, sent the Lord Jesus Christ born in human flesh, living a human life with all of its misery in the time that he was born, and dying a horrifying human death, as we reflected upon two weeks ago at Easter, experiencing the anguish of separation from God the Father who had been with from eternity past, and taking the weight of judgments on his shoulders so that we might have peace with God. And just by saying, thank you, God, thank you, Lord, yes, please take my sin on your shoulders, we can benefit from that. Please be my Lord and my saviour. What great love God showed for us. What incredible love. And so that response that John calls for is very apt. Dear friends, he says in verse 11, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Not just in the way the world does, 
but in the way that God has shown love really is, sacrificially. Having got to know many of you in the past three years, I know just how much true sacrificial love there is within this congregation. We do go out of our way for each other, getting to know each other and caring for one another, helping with everyday things, uh, praying for one another, spending time with one another. And this passage is a great encouragement to keep going in that, to, to keep striving for loving one another, but also to go further and to think actively over how we can go further. And that's especially so with the object of spiritual welfare, not just physical needs. Jesus went to the cross for our reconciliation with God. He endured the cross fully for our reconciliation with God, for our spiritual good. He didn't say at the end of the first hour of hanging there, I think I've had enough now. I've, I think I've shown them what sacrifice means. I've shown the, the meaning of giving things up for the sake of love. No, he endured the full three hours there on the cross, taking the full weight of judgment on his shoulders until he said, finally, it is done. It is finished. The price is paid. There is now free forgiveness available to all. He took the fullness of that judgment on him so that we could be free, suffering to the uttermost for us. So the question for us then is how can we go to the uttermost for others? How can we go further, as Jesus did, for spiritual welfare of those around us? And that's a question particularly, I think, as new home groups are starting up, which I know some of us are apprehensive and anxious about, uh, getting to know and get comfortable with a new group of people. But it's a, a good question, a good challenge for us as we think about those new groups. How do we love one another rightly in that context, particularly with that object of spiritual benefit in terms of where, where they meet, when they meet, the attitude that we bring to them uh, when they meet. Reborn then of God, loved of God, and finally indwelt of God in verse 12. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. God lives in us. Well, you might immediately think when you read that, well, something living inside me. I'm not sure about that. That, that sounds a bit questionable. Like, is this like a sort of a parasite or a bug or a, a bacteria living inside me, about to burst out of me like the alien? Uh, I don't know if I like that idea. But no, it's a wonderful thing to have God living in us. Because think of that by contrast with the situation before uh, in the Old Covenant, when God was so far away. Yes, he was there among his people in the, in the temple in Jerusalem, but there were so many lines of separation. Uh, the curtain for the Holy of Holies, the door for the holy place, uh, the many walls, there's different courts through which different groups of people could enter or not enter. But that's all been broken down in the Lord Jesus. And now not only can we enter into his presence, but he's so comfortable, so at ease with us that he actually dwells in us. What an incredible thing that is. That separation now over, and now God living with us. 
And then we think about that if in verse 12. If we love one another, God lives in us. You might think, looking at that, so are we saying God living in us is sort of the prize to be won? If, if we love one another really well, if we, do it, if we do this just right, then God will live in us. We've just seen that can't be right, because we've just seen in the preceding verse that actually this is love, that God first loved us, not that we loved him. Uh, his love is the first mover in the, st- the action. Instead, our mutual love is the evidence of him dwelling in us. So the sense of the verse is, if we love one another, then that shows God living in us and his love being completed in us. God living in us is a wonderful thing for our sanctification, our growth in holiness, knowing good and evil. As his spirit dwells within us, it aids our conscience of what is and is not right, what is and is not loving, and what serves for mutual love. That private conscience is, of course, always subject to God's public revelation in the scripture. We can't just decide one day that mutual love might include feeling free to include profanity in our remarks with one another, because scripture tells us that we should season our speech with salt and make everything be upbuilding. But likewise, we can't claim sort of private divine revelation and guidance for redefining love in other ways, like claiming that God is doing a new thing when uh, we're loving in a different way to how we have done in the past, when his public written revelation is unchanged and unchanging, as he himself is. If a Christian is showing biblical love today, then God is living in them. And in some sense, God's love is complete in them as well, as in we have it all, the abundance of God's love, which is such a wonderful treasure to have that it overflows to other people and we share it and keep on sharing it reborn of god into a new family a new life loved of god even when we ourselves were unlovable indwelt of god the holy spirit being closer to us than the closest friend and that gives us endless cause and motivation to love one another now for many of us there are some practical limits on that aren't there I'm aware that many of us face long-term difficult commitments and conditions uh, that prevent us from serving and helping in ways that we'd love to. But whatever our situation, whatever our individual circumstances, we can all share, and we should all share, the attitude and the aspiration of mutual love, letting it direct all of our decisions and ambitions about what we can do now, what we might do in the future. And that affects all parts of our life about how we're spending our time, Sundays and midweeks, how we're spending our financial and other resources, how we're spending our friendships, who we're investing time in. All of those aspects of life directed by this principle, love one another, for love comes from God. Let's pray about that. Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you so much for all that you gave in sending the Lord Jesus among us. Thank you for his great sacrifice. Help us, in light of that, to live sacrificially ourselves. 
may we ourselves not hold on to those things that are precious, but give them over for the sake of others, particularly within this church family, this family of God that we've been born again into. Help us to think that through, Heavenly Father, in all these particular aspects with things like home groups and uh, international relationships. And bless us, Heavenly Father, as a church community that really puts this into practice. For Jesus' sake. Amen.